See, things I think I would be. Well, I think I would be because I seem to have been bad at naming cats. <laughs> I don't know. Chaos is a great name. Yeah, but what if that's my peak? What if that's my peak of cat naming? I mean, yeah. It Counselor be. Troy was not a great cat name. <laughs> it was an okay cat name. Yeah, it's all right. And that was because she was gray and Counselor Troy wears sort of a gray bodysuit. Like, there's better Star Trek-inspired names for cats. I don't know if there are. Like, I mean, like, Spock would make a great cat name. Did you know Data had a cat? No. Named Spot. I don't know anything about I know you Star don't, Trek. But I asked to be nice. <laughs> the cat's name was Spot? Yeah, Data the Android in Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh-huh. The yellow one. He was yellow. Okay. Corner of a gold. Um, had a cat named Spot. That's a dog's name. That was the joke. Okay. Is the joke also that it's close to Spock? I don't think so. Is Spock um, in that one? No. Spock is in the original series. Okay. The next generation was the, the next one. I feel like if we do enough podcasts, I'll learn about Star you, you Trek will have to. through you that I won't have to watch it. Um, like now I know that Data's the yellow one. So my, my favorite thing is um, Data, who is an android, who was trying to learn more about what it was to be human. Because uh, he was really the only android, mm-hmm. uh, more or less, in the universe. Like uh, nobody could replicate him. It was The guy who did it um, died... And nobody really knew how he made the positronic brain that gave data sentience. Hmm. And so, and this this showed up in a lot of different ways. It showed up in, in one of the best episodes of, of Star Trek: The Next Generation called "Measure of a Man," um, where Data's humanity was put on trial. Ah. Uh, so he he like he was he was never he was not born. He was found like. They found him, and he knew like he knew stuff. But he went to like Starfleet Academy, mm-hmm. and became a Starfleet officer and was a lieutenant. Uh, and in the episode of Measure of the Ma- Measure of a Man, they a, a scientist meets up with the Enterprise and is like, "Hey, I need to take Data and do some uh, experiments on him." And Data's like, "Well, I don't, I don't want to do that." And they're like, "Well, but yeah, but you're Starfleet property, and I've got this order that says I can take you, so you have." You have to come with me, you're because you're a robot. You're not a person. Hmm. Uh, and the, it, like humans in Starfleet aren't property. They're well. So well. So they, there's some things going around that. Like at first, he's like, I just need to take him because it's it's a thing and I want it. Yeah. But um, then he eventually gets like an order to like order him to go. Yeah. But doesn't want to do that either. And he's like, and in Starfleet, you have the right to turn down a position. You can say, I don't want this position. I want to stay here. If you're a human. Yes, if you're a person, I should say. If you're a person, yeah. Because there are a lot of non-human people, too. Oh, right, right, of course. Because of aliens. <laughs> um, There's aliens? <laughs> I hate you. Uh, so, so the episode is really good. Uh, and it, it basically culminates in a trial uh, where Captain Picard... Uh, is going to defend the right of data to be a human, to be considered or a person, I should say, not mm-hmm. a human, uh, and be an independent decision-making per- person with sentience. Yeah. And because they're at an outpost, there's not a formal trial procedure, so they bring in an arbiter, um, and the arbiter basically assigns Riker, the first officer, Picard's right-hand man, mm-hmm. to say you have to be 
the prosecutor. You have to say he's not a human, and you have to fight for it. Oh, interesting. Uh, and if you don't do it to the best of your ability, I'm going to throw you in jail. Like, you can't throw the fight. Huh. It has to be fair on both sides. Yeah. Um, and there's and the, the courtroom scenes are really good. And this was in the first season of Next Generation, which is not a great season. Like, it's overall very much struggling to find itself and decide what it's going to be about and uh-huh. all this sort of story. Uh, but it's got some really good speeches, uh, really good acting from, from uh, I was going to say Picard, but uh, the guy who plays him, yeah. who uh, Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart. Right. Uh, and Riker, who is, of course, played by somebody else. <laughs> uh, Frakes, Jonathan Frakes. Yeah, I'm not going to know any of these. And uh, Brent Spiner, who plays Data. Those are all their names. Uh, what was the verdict? He's a person. Of course. Yeah. That's the Star Trek-y yeah. verdict. Yeah. Uh, but Data had a cat named Spot, and he wrote a poem uh, about Spot. Oh. Uh, and this is that poem set to music. A tail is quite essential for your acrobatic talents. You would not be so agile if you lacked its counterbalance. It's by my uh, one of my favorite bands that you've never heard of. And again, when I say that, it's not because I'm a hipster. It's because <laughs> I listen to music and bands that take a poem from Star Trek and put it to music. Yeah, <laughs> bands that are genuinely unpopular. Uh, the band is called Ookla the Mock. O-O-K-L-A, the M-O-K. I have not heard of that. No, no. Uh, they're named after a minor character on Thundar the Barbarian. I don't even know what that is. It's a it's a cartoon from the era of He-Man and Masters of the Universe. Thundar the Barbarian? Yeah. It's a better name than He-Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, He-Man and She-Ra uh, were, were uh, two popular TV shows in the 80s for children. Right. Like myself. Right. Yeah, but Ookla the Mock is a is a filk band. Uh, filk being a uh, subset of nerd music. What? <laughs> so what? In, in the world of of um, so filk really grew out of conventions. Uh, so okay. conventions are where nerds hang out and meet each other, uh, usually around a singular topic or a, a group of topics, like Comic Con being the 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 obvious example or a collection of corporate cinematic universes yeah comic-con yeah um what cons were before comic-con were (laughs) a bunch of nerds getting together to celebrate the things they love Uh uh-huh and one of the things that would come out of this was something known as a filk circle filk being a play on the word folk right um so folk music is you know you have your guitar and you know very little else and you sing sort of funny songs right uh, well, they're funny. They're folky. Sure. So Filk uh, started as sort of people taking popular songs and in these Filk circles making up parodies about the thing they loved. Okay. Uh, the probably best known example of what would be called a Filk song, although it doesn't really fit the, the genre, uh, is Weird Al's Yoda. Uh, his parody Yoda, which was set to the tune of Lola. Right. Uh, met him in a swamp down in Dagobah, <laughs> where it bubbles all the time like a giant carbonated soda. S O D A soda. <laughs> I saw the little wren sitting there on a log. I asked him his name, and in a raspy voice, he said Yoda. 
which is a great song. Like it's it's a it's a perfect encapsulation of of that sort of stuff. Right. But those people who would make up these songs and then sing them in in folk circles and share them, and it was sort of a fun way to express your fandom through creativity and through parody. Uh, and then people started making their original songs, like st- songs about things that were nerdy and related to them mm-hmm. uh, that were completely original. And one of the better known folk bands is Ukla the Mock. Uh, they've been touring the con scene for probably 20 years. Uh, they're a little bit unique in that they are not acoustic exclusively. So they're more of a uh, uh, rock filk, an electric filk. Uh, but filk is only is only one of the genres of nerd music. Uh, so there's stuff that doesn't really fit into things. There's groups like the Double Clicks or Paul and Storm, uh, who who play music that is relevant to nerds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul and Storm had a pretty, again, relatively speaking, popular song uh, called "Write Like the Wind," which was a song to George R. R. Martin and why he should write faster. <laughs> Uh, that sort of stuff. Uh, Jonathan Colton would fit into sort of the Filk universe. He does. He doesn't. He didn't come out of that scene, obviously. Right. Uh, another parallel world of nerd music uh, would be nerdcore hip hop. Yes, I'm. I've heard of that. <laughs> it's a little more mainstream. I'm so out of my depth in what you're saying right now. Like I've heard of Pollen Storm. Yeah. Uh, you know Jonathan Colton. I know. You've established that you know who that is. I know Jonathan Colton, and I've, like, heard a song or two. Yeah. And, like, I know a lot. I follow a lot of people on the internet who are, like, friends with Jonathan Colton. Yeah. Uh, and I probably saw, like, a headline in The New Yorker about this nerd hip-hop that you're talking about or something like that. And that's Nerdcore. About nerdcore. nerdcore. That's hip-hop. about all I've all I know about what you're talking about. Which is, which is what you would expect it to be. It is people rapping about optimus prime oh my god and I, I use that as an example because one of the more famous uh, nerdcore uh, nerdcore rappers is optimus rhyme uh, he was one of the first ones uh it's pretty good of course there's mc front a lot is often considered the godfather of nerdcore uh he's he's got a lot of really good songs about being a nerd is um i don't want you to be offended by this it's okay um is any of this music actually good or is it good enough? I would say a lot of it is actually good. Yeah. Like is, is this hip hop? Is it like good hip hop or is it like, ha ha. Can you believe these people are like, yeah, no, I would, I would say it's good. Let me, let me, let me pull up some uh, front a lot for you. Okay. Uh, Front a lot has grown a lot over the years. He was not always good, but uh, he has gotten good. Uh, he's he's got a very funny song called "If I Were Better at Rapping." Uh, that might answer my question. <laughs> yeah, but here's here's a song called "Goth Girls," uh, which is about how he wishes goth girls would like him more. This is one of his older oh. songs. Ooh, I probably wrote this in middle school. Goth girls, goth girls, did the girls to go to see the nerdcore rapper with the geeked out flow. Um, he actually wrote an entire uh, concept album called Question Bedtime. Uh-huh. Uh, his most recent album, uh, which where he he reimagines um, fairy tales from all over the world uh-huh. uh, and put them into his his style. 
Oh, that's cool. Uh, so this one is called Much Chubbier. We've never been fed out this hilltop could feed us. My bigger brothers, I dream of all three of us wandering, yonder, and filling our bellies up, but without us becoming belly cuts. So uh, this question bedtime is explicitly a children's album. Like it, he intentionally made it for younger audiences. Oh, interesting. Um, That's rare in hip hop. Yeah. Uh, so he's he's again probably the most well known one. Uh, there's people like MC Lars. Uh-huh. Is uh, he's more on the the laptop rock side of things? What? <laughs> um, his his he's more focused on the production and like he he does all of his work on the laptop is where he creates all of his music. Okay, rather than with instrumentation necessarily. Okay, uh, so the, yeah, there's there's a lot in the in the sort of uh, I would say nerdcore is probably more well known than Filk is. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But they're they're all bands you've never heard of. Uh, yes, they yeah. are. Yeah, and and I again I don't say that because I'm better than you. I say that because I'm probably worse than you. Um, again, don't be offended by yeah. this. Uh, do you listen to normal music? <laughs> um, kind of. Okay. Uh, so I would say like the most the band I listen to the most is they might be giants, like hands down. And even they're on the board. yeah oh yeah they're 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 on the edge of what would be considered normal and some of my favorite songs of theirs are the ones that are the least normal yeah but they are really well known yeah yeah, yeah. like they they sold out stubs here in Austin recently so they they're established they've been doing it for thirty plus years they yeah. are they are well known um, I do enjoy some top forty stuff like I like Taylor Swift I think she's a lot of fun. Uh, her music is very catchy and fun and yeah. exciting. You want to know my hot take? Yeah. Uh, her album 1989 is like one of the best albums I've listened to in many years. Yeah, it's a great album. It's so good. Uh, I love Beyonce because you can't not love Beyonce. Because she demands it. Yeah. Yeah. She makes you love her. Yeah. Uh, so so I'm, I'm aware of like the the peaks of, of pop culture music. Mm. Uh, I think I mentioned before that... Uh, I enjoy Arcade Fire. Right. Uh, they're, they're a famous band mm-hmm. uh, that I listened to occasionally. They're a very normal band. Yeah. They're, they're much closer to like normal band. Yeah. Um, I, this past week, I've been listening to Billy Joel because I was like, I should know more about like Billy Joel. He's one of the most popular <laughs> songwriters of all time. Uh, maybe I should listen to some of his music. And so I, I on Apple Music, I got like, the essential Billy Joel album and I've been listening to it. Nice. Uh, and like, there are occasionally times when I'm like, oh, that's a Billy Joel song? <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that can happen with those like very famous people who were before your time. Yeah. Well, also his his style is all over the place as I've discovered. Like, Well, not like all over the place, but he's got a very broad range. Okay. Uh, from, again, songs I've listened to this past week, like We Didn't Start the Fire, which is a... Uh, in, which is an insufferable song. It's kind of catchy. Oh. <laughs> uh, but that, to the song that has been stuck in my head for about a week, and when I actually started like going on this trip, um, oh, what's it called? For the Longest Time. Or I think it's called The Longest Time. Okay. Uh, which is a Billy Joel song that's it's almost like doo-woppy. Really? He's got like an accompaniment of like five dudes singing backup, as <laughs> if he were a, a doo-wop group in the 40s. Uh, but it's a super catchy song in my head, like all the time. 
but to to from that to like Uptown Girl, uh, right? Which I listened to and was like, oh, I know this song. I know what this is. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah, but is again a very different sort of sound to it. To scenes from an Italian restaurant to Piano Man, mm-hmm. like these these very famous songs. Yeah. Like, I only know scenes from Italian restaurant because my dad would sing, bottle of red, bottle <laughs> of white. Like, my dad would sing that to me. Right. A bottle of white, a bottle of red, perhaps a bottle of rosé instead. If there was wine. And so I'm like, and so it's like, oh, that's the thing that he's talking about. In classic dad fashion, where they do the same thing every time they yeah. are prompted by a yeah. similar yeah. circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I I dabble in real music, as one might call it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fascinated by it. So I, I would say I study it more than I often listen to it. Huh. Like there was, in you know, uh, so I, again, this, the majority of stuff I listen to is. They might be giants. Jonathan Colton, Nerdcore, some Filk, Broadway musicals. I got a lot of those in my back pocket. Oh right. Uh, and then I I sort of go like maybe I should know more about this. So that's how I ended up buying Thirty Six Chambers, Wu Tang Clan's first album. Nice. Because I'm like I should like this is someone who's who's culturally relevant, who's had an impact, and lots of people love it. So let me listen to it. So far, the things that you've mentioned that are like that for you are Wu Tang, Billy Joel. Taylor yeah. Swift. Yeah. Like, that's an interesting mix of things you're picking out to say, this is culturally important. I should yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. But that's sometimes how I pick music. There's not a through line between those three things. No. Nearly at all. Other than they're important. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I would say a lot of this stems from being a lyrics first person. We've talked about that a little bit. Yeah, that's what just popped into my head that you yeah. mentioned. You listen to music primarily for mm-hmm. the lyrics. Which I content. think if if I could pinpoint like an actual place where I think that started, I would say it's Weird Al. Uh so I've I've listened to Weird Al. Weird Al's Bad Hair mm-hmm. Day was the first music cassette I ever bought. Because Weird Al's music is nothing but the lyrics because the music is the same as songs that are Well no, he does sense. original songwriting as well. Oh um, but that's not his like I would famous. say some, that's well, not no, what he's so, famous for. So what he does is, so he'll do direct song parodies, but he'll also do style parodies, okay, um, which are not directly copying a song, but are in the style of a famous musician. Uh, his song Craigslist is in the style of The Doors, but does not actually. It's not a copy of a Doors. No, song. is that and that's probably because The Doors didn't want him to do it. No, because uh, it just he just sometimes wants to write a song that's in the style of something. This is the song Craigslist. Oh, yeah! That's in the style of that, as opposed to uh, CNR, uh, which is his song in the style of the White Stripes. That song's about Charles Nelson Riley, by the way. (laughs) Uh, I didn't know he did that. Yeah. I'm not like much of a weird That's okay. person. That's okay, yeah. Uh, that sounds even harder than doing an actual like direct song parody. It is. It is absolutely Because like you can, his like his like song parodies are like you just skim, you just take that exact music and you write new lyrics to it. Yeah. I mean, he, pre- he re-performs all the music obviously. But yeah. you have to. Yeah. Uh, but that's hard and, and whatnot and super funny usually. Mm-hmm. But doing a style parody means you have to come up with your own music that mm-hmm. sound 
how do you because i feel like bands make like when a band writes a new album it's full of songs that all sound like them because they can't help it but write music that <laughs> it, it sounds, sounds like, like the music them. they write because yeah. that's just how they write music yeah but adopting the style of a band without copying must mm-hmm. be yeah, and, and so I would out. say probably half of his songs and most of his albums are style parodies <laughs> rather than direct parodies. But they're not uh, not as famous because they're not yeah. I- identifiable yeah. and shareable and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, although I do think CNR is an amazing uh, White Stripes song. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically if the White Stripes wrote a song about Charles Nelson Riley. That's. I wonder if any of his style parodies are like better than any of the songs that the actual band has written. Oh, probably, yeah. Maybe some of the more prolific people he's written stuff about. Yeah. Uh, or that who've written more stuff. But uh, so my musical taste, I think, stems from that, that Weird Al doesn't have a style. Yeah. He has all the styles and he, he picks something that fits what he needs to do. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, I hear songs occasionally. I'm like, that's a song I really like. And I really, and, and, and that will occasionally spur me to go find more of that music. Uh, an example being The Streets. Mm-hmm. Who is a, a British rapper? Uh, okay. He he he's written. He no longer performs as the Streets. His name is Mike Skinner. Um, and as the Streets, he was contracted for like five or six albums, and he did those, and is now doing other stuff. Uh, and there's, there's sort of an arc. But I heard literally on the radio one summer a Streets song. And I was like, I really like this song. I'm gonna figure out what it is mm-hmm. and go listen to all of his stuff at the time, which was two albums. It's now six. But nice. so. But it's not because it's a particular style or a particular genre. It's because I liked that one thing, and so I want to hear more like it. Hmm. And does that usually work where, like, you heard, you just heard that song, really liked it, and you happen to like the rest of the works by that, Typically, by that yeah. person? Typically, like, yeah. That's, that usually happens for you? Yeah. Nice. Uh, Ookla the Mock, the one that took Spock, or not Spock's data's song about Spock and made it a song. Yeah. Uh, I found them, this is completely true, because I was trying to, in the early days of the internet, find a definitive list of superpowers. Like someone who had like written down all the possible superpowers there were to have. Um, there's an incredible Wikipedia article that is that. I'm sure there is right now. now. This was pre-Wikipedia. That, and, I, and I read through this. I read yeah. through this like a month ago or something. It's <laughs> incredible. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a really good I'm going to have to go look it out. It didn't exist. Wikipedia didn't exist when I was looking for this. This was like 2004, 2005. Okay. Um, and so this was like me going to <clears throat> dogpile search and just clicking next until I could find what I was looking for. Wikipedia existed then. Not for real, though. <laughs> Facebook existed then. Not for real, though. <laughs> anyway, uh, and I, they have a song called Superpowers, which is kind a of a of list of superpowers like it's it's sort of a mashup of a bunch of different superhero origin stories and yeah. things like that and i found the lyrics to that song and i was like oh this is a song huh and i hmm. went and found their album and discovered a genre of nerd music yeah wow which might be the nerdiest way to discover the genre of filk uh, I mean, all the other ways to discover it are probably pretty. <laughs> probably pretty I don't know if too. there's an unnerdy way to discover <laughs> the genre that came out of people playing music at nerd conventions. Yeah, but, that's valid. Oh well, this is all very fascinating to me because uh, I have an entirely different relationship with. Yeah, music. tell me about your relationship to music. Um, it's nearly a hundred percent not lyrics based yeah uh, because my primary genre of music that i enjoy is metal mm-hmm. and metal variants i like a couple metal bands uh but which is 
very, very, very instrumental. Yes. Because, like, there's a voice, but often you can't understand. Yeah, I would, I would the say the voice in metal is is an equal level of instrument to everything else. Right. And, like, there are lyrics and there are words that you can read. And yeah. if you know the song well enough, you can You can up, understand what they're trying to say. You can yeah. end up understanding it, yeah. And sometimes, like, the lyrics are great and there's really good writers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, really good lyricists for metal bands and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's entirely not the point mm-hmm. of the music. Yeah. It's all about the instrumentation. Mm-hmm. Um, like, when I listen to new music, like, I don't care about the words. Like, it's just yeah. not... That's not a consideration for me. It's about, like... How does it sound? The style of yeah. the construction of the music and mm-hmm. how that sounds and whether or not it's a style I enjoy. Yeah. But... Um, that's like metal and stuff is like my primary genre but then i also listen to equal parts of like hip-hop and like super like white man indie folk Mm -hmm. stuff yeah like who do you like in hip-hop i'm just curious um it's changed over time because i because hip-hop is is definitely a blind spot for me like again i went out and bought wu-tang clan i bought Uh the roots first album because i'm like i i feel like i should know yeah. This stuff because it matters and I enjoy them, but uh-huh. I don't, I don't have any context for them and I don't know like where the industry is today. Right. I did the same with Kanye. Like I went and bought uh, not his first album, but I think his second album. Uh-huh. Uh huh. His most uh, college dropout, I think, is his most popular one. Maybe. Maybe I forget which. It one. had some really good songs on it. I enjoyed it yeah. as an album, but uh-huh. like I don't, I don't understand it in the culture uh, and, right. the, and the culture of music. Right. I can appreciate this album, and and. I enjoy a lot of hip hop because it is lyric first. Like mm-hmm. it's about the the person and the story and the speaking and things like that. So what yeah. do you like being someone who's also a metalhead? So, well, I like a lot of music, but I am not knowledgeable about the music industry or culture. Sure. Like I like a lot of like various kinds of metal, but I know, like I have a coworker who, you know, Justin, who. Yeah. He's also super into metal, but like knows everything about He scares me sometimes, metal. yeah. With and his knowledge. Like I can be like, Oh, I like this band and he's like, Oh, well they like they're just like this band and influenced by them and they've toured with them and you yeah. know, he'll he'll know everything of surrounding Sure. And I'm just like, Yeah, like I like listening to their I like music. Their music, yeah. Um similar thing with hip hop, like there's some hip hop artists that I really like, but I am not knowledgeable about like the hip hop world and mm-hmm. how the industry is changing and I know like hip hop is a genre that's full of like stories about the people and yeah. how they're yeah. in their relationships with each other in the industry and i'm just like you should watch empire i've heard it's really good yeah amy really loves it i haven't watched it much but i just don't know most of that yeah. stuff so i started my enjoyment of hip-hop when i was in like college yeah like late high school early college uh, and I fell in love with Jay-Z. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. Oh, H to the O-V. I used to move snowflakes by the O-Z. And I'm going to show my ignorance here. Mm-hmm. And I apologize for this. Jay-Z is the one's married to Beyonce, right? Correct. Okay, cool. Yes. Um, he's w- always thrown about as being like one of the greatest rappers yeah. of all time. Well, I, I know I hear him up there with like Jay-Z and Dre. Mm-hmm. And Kanye, I think, are and like Biggie. Well, say so, so. I think I think of Biggie as being from a different time period because he yeah. because he's dead. Like, so I put I put Biggie and Tupac in the, <laughs> and and Old Dirty Bastard in the dead rapper category. Yeah, whether or not their music sounds anything alike, I don't know because I've not listened to much of it. <laughs> but I know that that's they're the dead rappers. Yeah, and Jay Z still alive. Yeah, 
Um, but they could have been rapping simultaneously, and I would have no idea. Uh, they probably were. Probably. Um, but like, yeah, like I don't know. I yeah. just like I really like Jay-Z's music. Yeah. Uh, I fell in love with Jay-Z, and then I guess because Kanye did a lot of production for Jay-Z before he started rapping. Okay. Um, I discovered Kanye, and I listened to Kanye a lot. It was primarily just, like, them two. Okay. Um, I liked uh, Lupe Fiasco, I remember. Um, but then I had this, like, my relationship with hip-hop changed, where... Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, a lot of this is super arrogant. Yeah. Like, hip-hop is about... Braggadocio. <laughs> yes, <laughs> being braggadocious. <laughs> um, but it is about, like, that arrogance and how good you are mm-hmm. and how great you are and yeah. how much money you have. And and I went through this phase where I was like, no, hip-hop's dumb because it's about all this shallow stuff. <laughs> uh, and, like, and I realized later... I was wrong. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay to not like it. Yeah. But that's something, there's something about like the hip hop culture that makes that okay. And mm-hmm. I just don't get it. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of complexities in there and I understand right. that. And the, the fact that, so the, the little Jay-Z knowledge I have comes from the gray album, uh huh, which was the mashup of the Beatles white album and Jay-Z's the black album, which is really good. It's a great album. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, how I discovered Danger Mouse, which uh, is how I discovered Gnarls Barkley, who I absolutely adore and wish they would make more stuff together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you take a, a song like 99 Problems by Jay-Z, right. uh, which is a, is a very popular and very powerful song, but also like literally in it describes how to properly have an interaction with the police. Hit me. Years 94 and my trunk is raw. And my rear view mirror is the motherfucking law. Got two choices, y'all. Pull over the car or bounce on the devil, put the pedal to the floor. Like, and that's, yeah. <laughs> and that's powerful and important and meaningful. Uh-huh. Uh, in, in a really important way and in a really powerful cultural way that I don't fully grasp. Right. Like, and I, and I, could study it and learn more about it and i just haven't but like that the fact that jay-z has to make a song <laughs> that says like this is how to not get shot right like that song is still relevant today yeah that's true uh, and it doesn't always work even but that's you know that's the idea of like yeah. that's there's that all that coded language and stuff that i don't fully grasp yeah it's a great song and like a great album yeah um i forgot about that aspect of that song though that it's a very very clever mechanism yeah um but some like something about me listening to hip hop and being infused by all of those messages of like arrogance and mm-hmm. greatness and blah blah blah. Like yeah. it's something about it just started to turn me off. Yeah. I stopped listening to it so much. Um, but lately, uh, I've gotten back into just a couple different artists. Uh, I think Kendrick Lamar is amazing. Okay, I've I, heard that. I really, really like the couple albums of his that I yeah. listen to. And then uh, I listened to the one album that's on Apple Music uh, by Chance the Rapper. Okay. Uh, he does He does rap now? <laughs> uh, you might be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> He's a rapper. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
Chance the Rapper has an album, and I forget the name of the album and Apple Music, uh, but it's like one of my favorite albums in the last okay. couple of years. I love it so much. Magnify, magnify, lift it on high. Spit a Spotify to qualify a spot on his side. I cannot modify, ratify. My mama made me apple pies, lullabies, and alibis. The book don't end with Malachi. And something about Kendrick Lamar and Chance the Rapper, something about like the style and like mm-hmm. the message in their lyrics yeah. feels different to me than in the kind of than the style of the arrogance of like Kanye and Jay Z. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't feel bothered by it like i did huh, uh, cool but like musically they're all super yeah. good uh but boy is that chance to rap for album really good enough to try it out yeah because that's what i do is i try music out right <laughs> uh i will say just saying braggadocio again reminded me uh mc frontalot who we mentioned earlier has a, a song i think it's called braggadocio uh-huh uh where he rhymes the phrase braggadocio with Ralph Macchio. <laughs> From Karate Kid? Yes. <laughs> uh, he's like, I'm going to give you a little braggadocio while I swing my arms like Ralph Macchio. That's really good. It's a good line. That's a good rhyme. It's a good rhyme. Oh, Karate Kid's a great movie. Is it? Oh, oh, come on. <laughs> I love the Karate it's Kid. It's a fun movie. Is it's, it a great movie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. A friend from an old store. Uh, we used to have the argument of uh, what are the perfect movies. Okay. Um, and again, we've talked about like favorite and best. And yeah. Whatnot, but yeah. like perfect is a different category. Sure. Where it doesn't even have to be favorite or best. But yeah. There's perfect movies. Yeah. Uh, and he always contested that The Karate Kid is a perfect movie. Hmm. I think it kind of is. I can, I can see that argument. Uh, it's funny because I, I use the term perfect play when I'm talking about certain things from a, a dramaturgical standpoint. Right. Uh, you always assume that a play is perfect. Um, and so those, that means the things that don't make sense actually do make sense, and you have to figure out why. Right. Uh, which is a really powerful thing. You you probably are aware of the internet meme that was going around a year or two ago about how um, Daniel is the bad guy in The Karate Kid, oh, the sort of reinterpretation. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really, really fun It's way a really funny video. Uh, my favorite thing, though, about that was that was not necessarily where that theory generated. Uh-huh. Um, because years before that, on How I Met Your Mother, a running joke was that Barney, who was played by Neil Patrick Harris, uh-huh. uh, thought that the movie was about his character, not Ralph Macchio's character, Daniel. He thought it was about the, the Cobra Kai kid. Huh. Um, and how he was bullied and picked yeah, up by Ralph Macchio. Yeah. It's like, he, that's his name. He was the Karate Kid. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Uh, and and that was a running joke that actually ended up with that actor, whose name I don't know, uh, having multiple guest spots in the later seasons. Nice. Uh, he showed up. Uh, the best part was his initial appearance mm-hmm. was in full clown makeup. <laughs> um, and they did, and he just never said anything. He was just always there. He was part of the worst bachelor party ever. That's funny. Um. And then it got revealed at the end. It's like, no, actually, I'm actor so-and-so. And Barney was like, Because <gasps> <laughs> that was his favorite movie. Okay. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun little running bit. But um, that was on years before the internet was ever like, oh, no, Daniel's the bad guy. I forgot about that meme. I'm going to have to go. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. But I'll have to it was a funny little video. do that again. Um. What uh, what's your relationship like to live music? I don't really care for it. No, 
I no, I think no is the right answer. Yeah, um, I've I've been to a handful of concerts. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen They Might Be Giants live twice, uh, both times at Stubbs in Austin, which I went because I'm just such a big fan of their work. Yeah, uh, that I I could almost like I went because I was a fan, not because I wanted to go stand around with a thousand of stra- thousand strangers in the mud at Stubbs. Uh huh. Outside. <laughs> Was it raining? Uh, it had been you? raining earlier that day. Yeah. Uh, and I went with a friend of mine who was also a huge fan of They Might Be Giants. And so it was a nice like thing to do together as friends. And like, hey, we love this band. Right. Uh, I've seen Jonathan Colton live. I've performed live on stage with Jonathan Colton. That's a pretty cool thing that, was that you cool. can say. Uh, I've seen Weird Al once. And that's like the majority of things i've seen live like bands i've gone to see so do you feel like and i I, this definitely seems related to your lyrics first Mm -hmm. uh philosophy but like does the live experience add much to your experience of music typically no yeah uh if it is going to add to my experience there needs to be a performative aspect that does not exist in the music itself right uh, and I and I say that from the standpoint of like Weird Al does a whole bunch of crazy costumes and performs his songs. He doesn't just stand uh-huh. on stage and sing his songs. Uh, so when he does his style parody of uh, Talking Heads, called the I think it's called Doggy Dog, which is not a direct parody, but is is mm-hmm. in the style of Talking Heads. He comes out in a big suit like <laughs> David Byrne wore in Stop Making Sense, the Talking Heads concert film. Okay. Um, or, you know, he, he's got a song that I don't know who it's in the style of if anyone, because again, some of the songs are not in the style of anybody necessarily. Um, that's just a bunch of cheesy one-liners strung together. <laughs> like he comes out into the audience and sings them to all the women, like one-on-one, like, that's funny. um, a, a friend of mine who was at the concert had the, um, I don't know the line, but they like had him like look deeply into her eyes and sing this super cheesy Line about, <laughs> the line was about diarrhea. Like I remember that part of the song. I don't, I don't remember the song detailed. And so he puts a lot of effort into the production and performance of it. Right. Which most bands that I know of don't do. Or most bands that I, I would want to go see don't do. Right. Uh, I've seen Paul and Storm a few times live as part of either independently or as part of other bigger things. They put on a really good live show. They've got a lot of witty banter. A lot of it's canned. A lot of they do the same bits over and over again. But it's but it's a performance that you don't get just from listening to the music. Right. Um, they have a lot of running joke. Uh, one of their biggest running jokes is the blank is my blank cover band. <laughs> uh, where someone will say, you know, one of them will say a weird thing. And they go, oh, that, you know. That's my wings cover band. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and things like that. And so I think it comes from my love of theater and performance and that nature. That if mm. I'm going to see a live band, I want to see a performance. Right. So does going, going to a live show for the uh, I'm near a famous person that I admire, like, does that aspect do anything for you? Only a very little amount. Because that's why, like... As amazing and powerful and whatnot that I think people like Taylor Swift and Beyonce are, mm-hmm. like, I'm not that interested in going to see one of their shows. Yeah. Because, like, they they put on great performances and there's a lot of, like, stage production Beyonce and Beyonce has a killer performance team. But, like, you'd have to pay $1,000 to get good enough seats to, yeah. like, 
enjoy it. And then the only other thing is like you're in a seat really far away and you listen and you're listening to their album and you just know you're near them. Yeah. Which for some people matters. And yeah. Like that's a that has a huge impact. Like one of my friends just went and saw Beyonce and it was it like changed their life. Yeah. And they were like I know people who have done that. They're like 500 yards away from Beyonce. Yeah. And that's great. But it was still a powerful and but that just wouldn't do anything no. for me. And and I'm kind of the same way. Like I would much rather watch a Beyonce concert film than go to a Beyonce concert. Exactly. Cuz you're going to have a great experience watching that yeah. concert. You're going to get the best uh, of the production. Getting back to Talking Heads, I think Stop Making Sense might be the best concert film of all time. Yeah. Uh it's it's amazing. Oh, I have it I have it on Blu-ray and it's beautiful. And every now and then I'll just put it in and just watch two hours of Talking Heads singing songs I know. Uh-huh. But there is a performance to it. There mm-hmm. and there is uh, in particular because they're making a film, there is a filmic aspect to it of the way it's shot and the camera work and all this sort of stuff. And like I want to see Justin Timberlake has a new uh concert film out. Okay. Or coming out. I think it's maybe coming to Netflix. Justin Timberlake and the like Tennessee kids or something. Uh-huh. Um, that was filmed as part of his most recent concert series. It was the final performance of that concert tour. Nice. Um, and I'm not a huge Justin Timberlake fan, but everything is that's coming out is saying it's a great concert film. I'm like, oh, that sounds neat. Mm. Like I would, I would like to watch a good concert film, even if I don't super know the music. Yeah. But would I ever go to Justin Timberlake concert? No. Or even like listen to his music just on its own. I might if I saw the concert film and was like, "Oh, I love this." That's that's kind of how I got into Beyoncé. But yeah, so it won't go the other way. Like, you're not if you don't love Justin Timberlake's music, you're not gonna Like watching a great concert yeah. film might inspire you to really like his music. Yes. Yeah. Uh and and good concert films are hard to make. Because uh, good, good concerts are, are hard, hard to, to produce. Yes. And then filming stuff is hard. Yeah, filming live performances is next <laughs> to impossible. Yeah. Uh, just ask NBC and all their live shows recently. <clears throat> Peter Pan, I'm looking at you. You were the worst. Zing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but Nailed like, uh, so I actually got into Beyonce. I was, I was, uh, and I, I apologize for this. I was against Beyonce. I'm like, rah, rah, rah. I know. How dare you? Right? Says the internet. Yeah. Uh, until I, so Amy took a class on uh, Divas. In, in her grad work. There's classes on divas? Yeah. Wow. Uh, and, and the academic study thereof and sort of what is a diva? How do they work? How does one create that performance space? You know, because you, you perform being a diva. That's something you're constantly in the act of doing. Right. Uh, and she wrote a paper about Beyonce. This was when uh, Beyonce was accused of lip syncing uh, the national anthem. Ooh. She didn't do it. She didn't lip sync. She sung it live. But have you considered she's black? <laughs> I have, actually. <laughs> it came up in the context of this paper. <laughs> uh, she didn't lip sync it, but she was wearing a monitor, and she pulled her monitor out because there was a problem. Oh. And people were like, oh, that means she's lip syncing. That's not what that means. What? That's not what that means. Vocalists wear <laughs> monitors. <laughs> and if there's a problem with your monitor, you pull it out because it's not helping. <laughs> You never lip syncing. Have you never seen a live performance? <laughs> um, I, but she did. So back to Beyonce. Uh, she she held a press conference because this was such a big deal. The the lip syncing thing. I don't remember this. Well, I was very close to it at the time. Wow. Uh, and her her press conference basically was 
she went in, on stage in front of the press corps, sang the national anthem live, and then said, any questions? No way. Oh, my God. <laughs> the queen. <laughs> Holy crap. And that's that's being a diva. That's that's a part of the performative aspect. Because she's not just going on as Beyonce the person and, giving, and talking to the press. She is performing because she's in the public eye. Yeah. Yeah. And she's always performing because she's always in the public eye. And and there's a lot of playfulness in pretending or or showing vulnerability or showing uh, you know the private side of you, but being doing it in a very controlled way. Yeah. All this sort of stuff. Um, but because of that, I watched a large portion of her uh, I think her most recent concert film at the time. I don't remember which one it was. It was not the Sasha Fierce one. I think it was after that. Uh-huh. Uh, it was the one I don't know if you know much about concert films of Beyonce's, but uh, not really. Uh, there was a lot of. Uh, it was the one. It was not the Mrs. Carter tour, but it was the one where Jay Z would show up occasionally. He would just show <laughs> up sometimes. Uh, and then there's a there's a film of it. It was really good. But like seeing that and being able to, and then Amy studying it and like talking to me about it was like, oh, mm. I start to get it now. Yeah. And it was because of the performance. And then I started enjoying her music. Yeah. Yeah. And I was I was wrong to have not enjoyed her music before because it was all good, like freaking countdown is a is a perfect song. <laughs> uh, I like it more than uh, put a ring on it. That was the famous one. That's the most famous one. Well, countdown's pretty famous, but yeah, I mean most of her stuff is very famous. Yeah, she's very famous. She's one of the most famous people. <laughs> uh, and Lady Gaga is in the same sort of realm. Like I enjoy Lady Gaga, mm. but I think, well, I know. Lady Gaga's performative side has suffered in recent years, and I like it less because of that, or in relationship to that. Interesting. Because Beyonce can sing. Beyonce can dance. Mm, yes, yes, she can. Did you, you, did, hmm? did you watch the Super Bowl? Oh, hell yeah. The Super Bowl performance? Yeah. There was a moment where she, like, they're on a football field. Yeah. And on a stage, like, dancing like crazy, going upstairs, yeah. and like massive heels uh-huh. and there's a moment where she does this move and she you can tell for the tiniest fraction of a second that she almost lost her this, balance yeah. and then just recovered <laughs> oh yeah and continued to kill it and that's the physical like ability that mm-hmm. that takes blows my mind oh absolutely and you don't you don't see it you don't yeah. see strain no. And what they're and what she's no, doing. She is, and she all is, of her dancers too yes it's incredible. Uh, on her most recent tour she had um an all-female backing band and dancers, which is an interesting choice. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, so Beyonce can sing. Beyonce can dance. She is amazing at all of those things. You mm-hmm. could put Beyonce on an empty stage and play a tape that she sings along to, and it would be fine. Yeah. Like, it would be amazing. Yeah. You don't, because you can't. You, you can't. But you could. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, whereas Lady Gaga, who I also really appreciate, uh, and is is a pretty good singer mm-hmm. and is an okay dancer but is an amazing performer mm. and had a very strong creative team behind her yeah. uh, her her producer and managers um were a part of sort of cultivating her her performative aspects yeah and her like character is really like, fascinating strong and, and yeah and, 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 and really important. amazing um well she fired the primary creative person behind her 
um, not long before Art Pop came out. Uh-huh. And Art Pop suffered because of it. Okay. Uh, because I think she got the idea, and this is me speculating, obviously, but I think she got the idea that I know what I'm doing. I know how to be weird and silly and, and goofy. <laughs> and she really didn't. And mm. so Art Pop, uh, in addition to the album, came out with a, a short 30-minute film with bits of her songs and things. Not unlike Lemonade. Lemonade was perfect. Lemonade was amazing. Really good. Uh, Art Pop was not. Art Pop was forgettable. Hmm. And I think it's because she lost that creative team or she fired that creative team. And I can't fault her for that necessarily, but I f- think she has suffered because she doesn't have that performative team behind her as well. Yeah. But I've, I've told you my favorite Lady Gaga performance. I don't remember. Uh, okay. Well, I'm going to tell you right now. My absolute hands down favorite Lady Gaga performance was when she showed up in drag at the MTV Music Awards as joe calderon lady gaga's ex-boyfriend weird yeah that's a sounds like a very lady gaga thing. it was it was it was a very good like perfect lady gaga thing but she wore like a white shirt like a white t-shirt i think she was wearing a binder like a suit jacket and I, pants. Yeah, and, and a I've very, seen photos of yeah. this. Well, yeah. So Joe Calderon started in a photo shoot. Like they did a photo shoot of like Joe Calderon, uh-huh. Lady Gaga's ex-boyfriend. Or I think it was boyfriend at the time. They broke up. Um, but it was it was Lady Gaga in yeah. drag as this sort of this like butch macho guy. Uh-huh. Uh, and then he showed up in the music video for You and I, which might be my favorite Lady Gaga song. Probably because of this performance, because these performances, my, my love of things come from the performances. And right. I'm like, I like this music too. Right. Um, but there's a, there's a, the song You and I, the music video has a bunch of things going on. It's it's, it's wacky in a good way. Uh, but Joe Calderon is there in addition to Lady Gaga. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same person playing both roles because Lady Gaga is equally a performance. And yeah. That's, and that's what Joe Calderon is all about, is about throwing the performance of Lady Gaga into relief, into sharp relief of being, like, th- that's equally performative. They're the same in different directions. Hmm. Um, and so everyone was like, oh, Lady Gaga's going to be performing at the MTV, you know, VMAs. Everyone's really excited. And she shows up as Joe Calderon in right. character the whole time. Huh. And then she goes on stage to perform. Or I should say Joe Calderon goes on stage to perform. And he performs a monologue about what it's like to be Lady Gaga's ex-boyfriend. <laughs> and it is it is him in a white shirt and a jacket and smoking a cigarette and in just a single spotlight, like telling this story about how the reason they broke up is because Lady Gaga would never take off her mask. <laughs> That's so, there's layers. It's, and, it's amazing. Yeah. And then he sings You and I. As? As Joe Calderon. Wow. He walks over to a piano and a bunch of dancers dress the same way he does. Male dancers come out and dance as he sings and plays the piano and sings You and I. And then Brian May shows up and plays the guitar because it's the VMAs and that's got to happen. <laughs> and it's an amazing performance piece as a whole. Yeah. And is like peak Lady Gaga for me. It's just perfect. That is 
the level of like production involved in that is uh like plays to your Broadway love. So oh, absolutely. Much. Because, <laughs> because like when I think of a live performance, I think of like, here's just some normal people who are themselves who get on a stage and like play the music that yeah. they make. And for you, it's like this like multi-layered, <laughs> like crazy meta, like numerous fake characters playing each other, like doing this whole massive charade in production. And like, I love going to concerts cause like, I love them. I love this music and I love like, being a part of like a the people the music that i love being created in the same space that that, that yeah. i'm in like it's such a simple thing for me yeah and you love these like large complicated absolutely and going to watch a band is like eh. yeah but like that, i love just going and watching a band yeah and it's not because i like uh have this like it's not because of their celebrity i'm mm-hmm. not like oh my gosh these people i love yeah. these people it's you love the music and, and you, I, like i yeah. love that music and i just love having it being made in the place i'm in yeah um because i come at live music from the perspective of uh like music production and like live like live music audio like the live audio side of things Mm -hmm. um because i like my whole life as like starting or starting when i was like 13 or 14 Mm -hmm. in church Mm -hmm. i was the person who sat in the sound booth and mixed and did the sound music um and then that was my job in college is Mm -hmm. i did i did audio mixing for all the live events on campus um and then in summers off from college i spent volunteering at a music festival (laughs) doing production for the music festival sure and running lights and running sound and stuff like that um and so I have been, I have at least worked, but witnessed dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of concerts. Mm-hmm. I've been to so many live performances. Yeah. Like, and most of them by people I like don't even know and didn't care about, but I've just been in live mm-hmm. music so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't go to shows on, like on purpose. Like I don't buy tickets and yeah. go to shows all yeah. that much for myself, but I do it for like a couple bands i really really like sure um, like who uh on sunday night i'm going to see a band called august burns red cool which is a really um v- really brutal uh deathcore band okay do you, do you mosh at these things is that a thing that happens <clears throat> Uh, do you is, personally mosh it happens but it i do not participate okay okay um but they're playing i've seen them before in a much larger venue mm-hmm. but they're playing in just some like tiny bar on sixth street oh wow and there it's gonna be they're gonna blow it down it's gonna be boat up crazy boat off blow the roof things are gonna be blown things will be blown um but like they're a really loud, really intense, like really brutal metal yeah. band, and they're playing this tiny little venue. That's kind of cool. I'm super excited yeah. about it. I was just, from my again dabbling in the world of metal. Uh-huh. Like I got into metal because of Metalocalypse. Uh-huh. Like not even gonna lie, do you, do you know Metalocalypse? I know what that name is. Okay, I forget what it is though. It's a it's a cartoon created by Brendan Small from oh, Home Movies. Yep, yep. Mm. About the band Death Clock. Yep, I think you've told me about this before. Uh, and and. A friend of mine in college was a was a metalhead, like probably to the same extent you are, or maybe even Justin was. He was he was way into metal. Yeah, uh, he didn't listen to anything else. We were in a in his car listening to the radio once, 
and Yellow Submarine came on. Uh-huh. And he's like, who sings this song? <laughs> Yellow Submarine? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's how much, that's how into metal he was. Um, and he loved the show Metalocalypse because uh, he, he also had a sense of humor about like the world of metal and, right. and things like that. Because I think you have to. Well, maybe you don't. But... Uh, and I got, and he's like, here, here's, here's some easy metal for you. And he gave me their, the Death Clock album, the Death album, uh-huh. their first album that was released because it's all real metal. Yeah. Um, and I enjoyed them and I still listen to them occasionally. Um, and I've kind of dabbled in some other things, but I appreciate the difficulty of most metal. Mm-hmm. It's not something I always want to listen to, but if I appreciated that more, I was like, man, that is impossible to do. Like, yeah. uh, there's on the Death Clock DVDs, in the special features, one of the members of Death Clock teaches you how to play his songs. Oh, that's funny. Uh, and they're they're very intricate, and he does, like, sweeps picking. Uh-huh. Or sweep picking. Uh, he calls it sweeps picking, but I think that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sweeping. Yeah, sweeping. He calls, yeah. It, he calls it sweeps picking. Yeah. Which it, is which, which is, is in character. but Very hard. Yeah, very hard. He's <laughs> like, it's, it's called sweeps picking. You just go like this, and, he, and then he does it, and you're like... <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, the, the difficulty in metal music is, like, one of the primary... Yeah. Like, drivers behind making the music. Mm-hmm. Like... Uh, my brother is a guitarist, and he was in a, a band. The genre is called technical deathcore. Okay. Um, because it's not just regular deathcore. It's deathcore that's so technical it has to be specified as such. And that's and that's cool to me. And and that's something I would I would enjoy experiencing live to watch somebody be able to do that in a live environment right uh but i also don't like know that i would want to be around the people who are at a metal concert <laughs> right that's the weird thing for me like you asked if i mosh and i do not yeah um you don't seem like someone who moshes i don't like i love the music but i don't love the culture yeah like i go to metal shows and i'm like i don't these people all seem super weird and yeah. i don't relate to them and i don't understand i feel like i enjoy the music apparently for very different reasons than all, than the mainstream mm-hmm. community of it enjoys the music because yeah. i just don't relate to all the feelings that are going on at these shows i don't yeah. dress there that was... way and behave that way i don't know what i was listening to or watching but there was i saw something recently about like loving the thing but not loving the culture yeah um and and there are lots of examples comic books being uh, uh i think the one they were talking about mm. of like being able to love comics but really dislike a lot of the the problems. No, it's video games. Video game culture. Like oh, being able yeah. to love video games but hate most of the people who play video games or mm-hmm. seem to be playing video games. Yeah. And it's this really sort of weird thing. And it's okay. It's okay to be in that space and just enjoy the thing. You don't have to be a part of the culture or enjoy that. But it's yeah. it's definitely weird and sort of distancing. Yeah. You're missing out on a part of the experience like yeah like i do consider moshing it's an essential part of the metal culture yeah or like technically like the hardcore culture okay hardcore metal distinction or, or uh, is is real um metal metal based uh heavy music comes from rock and roll okay uh and hardcore based heavy music comes from punk 
Okay, I kind of know the differences between punk and rock and roll. <laughs> like hard, if you, I would I would argue there's more of a lineage there, but there is like punk came out of rock and roll, yeah. but then like rock and roll became like turned into like hard rock mm-hmm. and then like metal, but punk took its own lineage and then punk and metal converged into like the hardcore deathcore metalcore okay. kind of stuff. I do appreciate punk music. Yeah, um, I just discovered. Uh, the Descendants? I'm not familiar. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all like they, the, the instrumentals is very punk, but there actually is like a melody uh-huh. and like the singer can sing. So yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of, it's a, it's, kind of silly in that respect and all their songs are like under 90 seconds oh weird <laughs> i i like a lot of uh like melodic death metal yeah uh it's usually stuff from like the uh like scandinavian areas okay. where you get like the really like dark black metal stuff mm-hmm. but then there's like melodic death metal yeah. where there's like good vocals like not like clean vocals yeah. and stuff like that and like really melodic guitar instead hmm. of just like dark chugging guitar i want to tell you about my favorite live performance ever please do so are you familiar with sufjan stevens that's a person whose name i've seen okay uh sufjan is a indie I don't even know like what kind of genre he falls under. Like alternative indie rockish okay. kind of white guy music. Yeah, like person who has a guitar and sings. Yeah. Um, but he also does a lot of like really really weird music. Okay. Um, I can appreciate weird. A couple of his albums have these songs in them, where like it's like the final song in his album is instead of like three or four minutes like a normal song it's like 20 minutes long okay and it and it's just like a musical theme and like a musical idea like with lyrics and stuff mm-hmm. and it sounds like a normal song and then it just like slowly transforms like measure by measure like verse by verse and it just changes and flows over like 20 minutes cool and they're really really cool songs so he has a christmas album okay uh and the last song on that is called i'm the christmas unicorn I'm a Christmas unicorn in a uniform made of gold. Okay, I'm I'm sold. Uh, and it's this really bizarre but like really wonderful song that like is all about like both the sorrow and like darkness of the Christmas time, mm-hmm. but also like the joy and wonder of Christmas. And it's all through this character called the Christmas unicorn. Sure. And it's this like 25 minute song. That's just like evolving and getting crazier and crazier. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he performs it live, yeah. so I went, I went to his Christmas show, okay, uh, which was probably one of my favorite concerts, Yeah, uh, but it's a Christmas sing along and they have like the words on the screen behind oh, that's them really and cool. like everyone's in these elaborate costumes yeah. on stage and there's balloons and colors and all kinds of like really really yeah. intense visual stuff happening. But they do this Christmas unicorn song and he does it for like 30 or 45 minutes. Oh wow. Like he just stretches it out yeah. on stage yeah. and it's like the whole last part of the show. But before he starts, 
he goes off stage and then he comes back in his Christmas unicorn costume. Oh, wow. And it's this massive unicorn, like, headdress <laughs> and, like, big horn and all these, like, ribbons. Yeah. And, yeah. Streamers flowing out behind him and he's in this like neon bodysuit and <laughs> and then they just do this like wild Massive elaborate Christmas unicorn and like the last ten or fifteen minutes of the yeah. song is just like him and his bandmates and everyone in the audience just like rhythmically like screaming like I'm the Christmas <laughs> unicorn and but it's it becomes this like spiritual experience. Yeah, it absolutely. Was, it was so weird and bizarre, but it's like that's one, amazing. One of my favorite shows I've ever been to. It was so cool. I'm like dying for him to do another yeah. Christmas show so I can see it. That reminded me of two things. Uh, one is that Paul and Storm have a similar performance that they do at the end of their shows. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They come out and they sing a song called "The Captain's Wife's Lament." Okay. Um, which, as they say, is a 90 second song with one punchline repeated over and over again. <laughs> Uh, their longest performance of the captain's life wife's lament to date is about forty five minutes. Whoa, I love that. I think that's such, and that like that's what makes live music. Yes, and and thing. I would I would go see Paul and Storm just for their performance of the captain's wife's lament. Yeah, and now it's not a production in the same way that what you're describing. Uh huh. Um, they just stop the song and make a bunch of jokes throughout. Um, (laughs) and there's a lot of riffing and they do it at like Woodstock, which is their, their big annual concert that, uh, often has Will Wheaton and Adam Savage from Mythbusters Mm -hmm. and like Neil Gaiman's been to one. Uh, that's cool. Uh, George R. R. Martin showed up and broke their guitars when they were singing their song about George R. R. Martin. When he could have been finishing his books. They, they literally come out and started the song. And they're like, George R. R. Martin, please write and write faster. <laughs> uh, and he walks out on stage and takes the guitar and just smashes it. And then Neil Gaiman comes on and he says, what do we say, boys? And he said, George R. R. Martin is not our bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a very good bit. Uh, but so at the end of these, these multi-performer concerts, uh-huh. uh, usually the majority of the performers will come on stage to perform the captain's wife's lament together. Mm. Um, and it takes like the shortest performance I've seen them do is about 20 minutes. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and some of it is, is there's, there's call and response because like, they, they, the whole audience has to pretend to be a pirate. And say, <laughs> All right. What do pirates say? Arr! What's a pirate's favorite movie? Argo. <laughs> Jokes like that, yeah. bits and, and things, and a lot of improvisation. But it's but, all like the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all there. It's all considered their final song, and they'll come out and they say, "Okay, we're gonna sing our final song. Check your watches. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be done in about thirty minutes." That's great. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that reminded me of uh, was another one of my favorite bands that I don't listen to as much, but I really, really appreciate, uh, and more on the musical side, like in that realm, mm. uh, is Oingo Boingo. I know, I've heard of that. They're they're from the eighties. Uh, they're mostly famous now because of their lead singer and primary creative drive was Danny Elfman, oh. the Oscar winning composer. Nice. Uh, before he was an Oscar winning composer, he was the lead singer for this. Uh, and I, I'm going to use the term post punk band. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like post-punk as a genre because it covers everything. <laughs> Did it happen after punk? Yeah, it's post-punk. 
Um, but they they very famously did Halloween concerts because a lot of their music was humorously macabre. Mm. Uh, their most famous song is is probably Weird Science, uh, which you would know is the theme song to the John Hughes, Hughes movie Weird Science. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Uh, but probably their biggest non-weird science hit was a song called Dead Man's Party, uh, to which the, the chorus is walking to a dead man, or, uh, oh, what is it? I love a good uh, brass. Yeah, they got a lot of brass. Uh, I, d- I do not like ska, though. I want to make that very clear. I I, think I ska, have enjoyed ska think, throughout my life. I think ska is bad music, but some brass in some other <laughs> genres is fine. Uh, I would not put them in ska. They're definitely not in that no, realm. No. Uh, they're much more rocky than that. But uh, they they have a number. They would they would always do Halloween concerts because that very much fit their style. Yeah. Uh, before they were Oingo Boingo the band, they were the performance troupe, the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Okay. Um, who created as their final piece a, a film called Forbidden Zone, uh, which I encourage you to go watch clips of on YouTube. It is outrageous and okay. confusing and has no story and, okay. and was a movie they made. Uh, I will preface it by saying there's also some blackface in it, which there shouldn't be. Okay. Uh, it's bad. Like, there, don't, don't do that ever. Right. Period. It was a mistake. Yeah. Uh, but there's there is some blackface in it, so I'm just okay. putting that out there. So if uh, you don't want to see that, don't watch it. But it's not exclusively that. But there <laughs> there's some definite minstrelsy. Uh, and their last ever performance was their Hollywood concert. It was it was a their Halloween concert at the Hollywood Bowl that was filmed. Nice and uh, is is funny because I really like their music. It's not a great concert film. <laughs> uh, it's an okay concert film. Yeah, the greatness of your concert film has nothing to do with how good your music yeah. is. Uh, or very little. Although, uh, fun caveat to that story is 20 years to the night uh, after their final performance, uh, there was a performance of um, music from Nightmare Before Christmas, uh-huh. which Danny Elfman composed and uh. Uh, was jack skellington he played the voice of jack mm-hmm. uh and so they did a night of music at the hollywood bowl 20 years after their final oingo boingo performance uh and after the last song danny elfman put on the t-shirt and shorts that basically was what he was wearing during their last concert <laughs> and came out on stage with a guitar and sang dead man's party oh that's awesome uh which was amazing to all of his fans who had lo- loved him since oingo boingo Right, because uh, he had not performed any of their music between then. Like yeah. they performed and that, that night, it. and then they were done. Wow! And then he went on to be a, a an amazing Oscar winning. Uh, yeah, yeah, first, the, yeah, yeah, incredible composer. Yeah, uh, some of the best stuff out there. Uh, and I would, I personally like his stuff more than John Williams. Whoa! Yeah, those are fighting words. Probably. Um, Speaking of Halloween music, yeah, you mentioned Halloween music, and I've been trying not to laugh to myself for yeah. the last two minutes because uh, you made me think of uh, the greatest Halloween song of all time. Uh, from... Wal- uh, Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. Yes. <laughs> 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 
Okay, uh, good job, me. Uh, I know that. one of the greatest jokes of all time. It's a good bit. Like, I think that's probably why it stuck in my mind. As, <laughs> as, as uh, sort of like a pitch-perfect like, analysis of people who try and make scary songs. Boys becoming men, men becoming wolves. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Oh, man. 